I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. As long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As a reminder today, at the end of the sermon, we are going to receive communion. Those of us who follow Christ will receive communion together. So if you did not have a chance to make preparations for that, feel free to take a few minutes, run in the pantry, uh, do whatever you need to do. Get a little bit of bread, a little bit of uh, juice or wine, something to eat, something to drink, and uh, so we can celebrate communion together at the end of the message. Because we'll do communion at the end of the message, wanted to make you aware now, what I typically do then is just remind you we'd love to pray for you. If we can pray for you in any way, you can submit those prayer requests via email, davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org, davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. The other option is with our giving, you can go online to give at lakeforest.org slash give, lakeforest.org slash give. Because it's the end of the year, we know some folks may have a year-end gift that they would prefer to give via check or in person or whatever. You can always go to lakeforest.org slash Davidson, see our, our office address and also our P.O. box if you would prefer to mail something in end of year. Today is a, a fun day, a special day. We need to say thank you today. Somewhere in August, we made the determination that what was best for our church family, our physical, our emotional, our spiritual health was to offer two options on Sunday mornings, to have the opportunity to worship online and the opportunity to worship in person to those who would desire that. We didn't know where to do that. And some ministry partners in our church, Ben and Meredith McDaniel, and Meredith has since become a, an elder, but these are ministry partners just like you. They said, well, there's a field to the side of our house that the church could use. And so for the last five months, we've been worshiping online and in the field. And uh, today was the last day we had anticipated, at least for now, worshiping out in that field. And so we need to take a moment and say thank you to the McDaniel family for letting us invade their home. Uh, can you imagine if people start showing up at your house at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, week after week, that's what they let us do, and we, we love that about them. And so uh, thank you guys for letting us use your field, and who knows in the future when we might uh, need to come back. Just as TJ pointed out, on Christmas Eve, we are planning to be on our South Main Street property for the in-person services. The online services will be live at 3 o'clock, and then the recording at 4, will be shown at 4 or 5. And then we'll be virtual for a couple weeks, and the post-Christmas uh, excitement and potential surge, but we'll be virtual for a couple weeks. And then our plan is, God willing, on the 10th of January, we will be able to resume in-person services at the Lake Norman YMCA. It was not a good plan to think we could have outdoor services as our primary plan through the dead of winter. The Lake Norman YMCA has been gracious to open their doors to us. The church that currently meets there is, again, by God's grace, let's pray them out of there. They're getting a certificate of occupancy and we'll be moving into their own building uh, at the end of this month. And so we will be able to move in on the 10th uh, and you'll be hearing more about that as we get closer to that. But we'll still have the online option for those who would prefer that, and I think it'll be great to offer those two options even through the dead of winter, in person and online. Um, there we go. I had something else to say, but I totally forgot what it was. So uh, 
We'll, uh, when I remember it, I'll just interrupt the sermon and tell you. So today is the last day of our Advent sermon. Next Sunday, we'll take a moment to look at the year that has been and the year that is coming. And then starting in the new year, we're going to take our walk through uh, the big picture of the Bible. So we're very excited about that. Excited for you to hear more about that. I'll talk more about that next Sunday. But this Sunday, we're ending our Advent series. Advent is the weeks that lead up to Christmas. And this year, during Advent, we've been looking at the last chapters of the Bible. We've been trying to remind ourselves that God's story ends with hope with a capital H. From the earliest days of the Christian faith, the overarching point of Advent has been that we celebrate Jesus coming to remind us that he's coming again. We celebrate Jesus coming to remind us that he's coming again. And after a year like 2020, this seems like a good time to turn to the end of the book for some reassurance, some reassurance that all this is worth it, that it's worth persevering, that it's worth continuing to walk on God's path, that we should carry on. When Jesus came the first time as fully God and fully human on a rescue mission for you and for me, he came at an unexpected time. And he lived and he suffered and he died. Never forget this part. He resurrected. Then he ascended. He returned to God. He sent the Holy Spirit to continue his ministry and message of hope until at some point in the future, at a time nobody knows, but that doesn't keep people from guessing, at a time nobody knows, he will return. Jesus will come again. And the second time, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead and usher in the life everlasting. The second time, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the life everlasting. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus judging the living and the dead. In case you missed it, by which I mean the sermon, uh, not the judgment, you can always catch that on the website. Use that joke last week. It worked really well. thought I'd try it again this week. <laughs> last week, we looked at a first kind of took our first look at the life everlasting, the first verse of Revelation 21, and that's where I want to pick up again today. One of the hardest things to do in this life, and I'm sure you know this, one of the hardest things to do in this life is to find the bride right before the wedding starts. Because when I'm officiating a wedding, I try to get there just a little bit early so I can find the groom, find the bride, reassure them, make sure they're good, and then go and perform the ceremony. Finding the groom is easy. Finding the bride, you have to go down some stairs, punch in a code, evade the overeager bridesmaid, climb up a ladder, crawl through the ductwork, rappel down the other side. Hey, how's it going? You good? It's going to be great. Okay, climb back up the rope, back through the ductwork, down, down. You get it. If you've ever wondered why I wear tennis shoes at weddings, now you know. Now you know. But here's the good news. We don't all have to find the bride right before the wedding. In fact, if we wait, the bride will eventually come to us. It's one of the best parts of the wedding. The music hits, everybody stands up, and the bride comes to us. This brings us back to Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21. The passage Will read for us earlier. Thus far in Revelation, we've seen God set everything right. God has called all people. God has called you. God has called me to account for our lives. What have we done with our lives? And what have we done with Jesus the Christ? Before God's great and glowing throne, wrongs will be righted, and we will say, at last, there is justice. 
And then Jesus will usher all those listed in the Lamb's book of life into the life everlasting, which is described this way, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So Jesus ushers all those who are listed in the Lamb's book of life into this life everlasting, a new heaven, a new earth, and no longer any sea. If you were here last Sunday, I hope that verse sounds familiar. The core statement of it, the new heaven and new earth, it does not originate in Revelation. It's from another book of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, they all said confidently. Well done. But in Revelation, John goes even a little bit further. John's an early follower of Jesus. Because of his faith, he is stranded in a prison colony on an island. And God, while he's there, God gives him this vision, this revelation to encourage him and to encourage other Christians to persevere even in the midst of hardship. And so God shows John just a little bit more than he had shown Isaiah hundreds of years before. He shows John not only where there'll be a new heaven, not only will there be a new earth, the same thing he showed Isaiah, he also shows John there will no longer be any sea. The point is, the life everlasting is the renewal and the complete restoration of creation and humanity. The life everlasting is the renewal and the complete restoration of creation. That's the new heaven and new earth part. And humanity. That's the no see part. I tried to tease out last week how the no see detail is actually one of the most exciting things imaginable, that it's an artistic description of describing the renewal, the complete restoration of humanity itself. And in another good bit of news, I've not been sued by any like Myrtle Beach tourism bureaus after that sermon. Still time. So in the new heavens and the new earth, in the life everlasting, we're going to be renewed and fully restored. You are going to be the person God always intended you to be. I'm going to be the person God always intended me to be. We will be together with all those whose names are in the book of life in a creation that is renewed and fully restored. But wait, there's more. The life everlasting is also, this is what we'll see today, the life everlasting is also the renewal and complete restoration of existence itself of existence itself. This is the dramatic scene that's about to unfold in our verses for today. God is about to remake our very existence. God is about to remake our expectations of how life works. He's about to make a significant change to the standard operating procedure. And here's how it starts to unfold. Are you ready for the preview of things to come? John has seen a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The music starts. Mm, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. The bride is coming to us. You guys could have had that one ready for me. It would have been a little better. There you go. Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was hoping for canon and D myself, but okay. So the life everlasting is not about all of us going to our own private clouds. The life everlasting is about us living together in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the renewed, the fully restored Jerusalem. It's an experience of community. 
a community that is renewed and fully restored forever. And what do we notice about this city? Do we have to go find the new Jerusalem? No, the new Jerusalem comes to us. It comes to us. If we wait, the bride will come to us. It's one of the best parts. And it reminds us of Christmas. It reminds us of the first coming of Jesus. Did we have to go find Jesus or did Jesus come to find us? He came to find us in our ignorance, in our strife, in our barely deserving it. He came to us. One of Jesus' titles is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It does not mean we had to go climbing through the ductwork looking for Jesus. It means Jesus, God is with us. God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, on that rescue mission for you and for me. This is one of the crucial parts of the Christian faith, that God did not give us directions to a life preserver. God came to us as a savior. God did not give us directions to a life preserver. God came to us as a savior. And so now at the end of the book, it's happening again. The perfect city, the new Jerusalem is coming out of heaven to us. And John describes the new Jerusalem this way in in chapter 21, verse 22. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The Lamb being an image of Jesus. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. It's beautiful. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Years ago, I was meeting with a man whose chief objection to the Christian faith was that he could not believe that God lived on top of the clouds. And in the kindest possible way I could muster, I tried to say to him, who is asking you to believe that? Because God is the creator, right? God is not bound within the creation. God is the creator of creation. Now, the man was right, and this is what we kind of teased out in our conversation. The man was right that many times in the Bible, though not all the time, but many times in the Bible, God does use the heavens, God does use the sky as a good entry or exit point to our world. And I think that Jesus, remember, ascended into the clouds and was taken back into God's presence. So, so when God does this, I think what he's trying to do is to emphasize, using the sky, the heavens, emphasize his vastness, emphasize his grandeur, emphasize his majesty, that you and me, our little feet are planted here on the earth. And we can only reach up so high. So if we're going to have a meaningful relationship with God, We need him to come to us. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Our feet are on the ground. We can only reach so high. We need God to come to us. And time and time again, he does. Time and time again, God comes to us, including at the end of the book. And this is really at the heart of the matter. I imagine by the fact you have tuned in this morning, 
that you at some level desire to know God. By the fact you're here in worship with us today, worshiping alongside us, you at some level desire to know God. You desire not to live apart from God, but in a relationship with God. So what is the nature of that relationship? Is God our co-worker that we see a couple times a week? Is God a consultant that we call when we need a second opinion in a tough situation? The relationship God desires to have with you is a deep and transformative love that changes you, that changes me in a good way from the inside out. A deep and a transformative love that changes you, changes me in a good way from the inside out. How do we find that sort of relationship with God? How hard do we have to work at it? How many ropes will we have to climb? How many good deeds will get us on the right side of God's bell curve? What if it's not about our striving at all? What if that sort of relationship with God is a gift? A free gift, as all gifts are, <laughs> true gifts. A free gift that we receive out of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. For all of our strivings to get to God God has come to us. For all of our strivings to impress God, the good news is God has come to us. We are not looking for truth so much as truth is looking for us. We are not seeking out grace so much as grace is seeking us out. God's desire is to be with us. And we see that in the life of Jesus. God's desire is to be with us. We see in that in our own lives, in our own relationships with God. We see it again. We will see it at the very end of the story. God is coming to us. God is taking the initiative. God will be with us and us will be with God without a veil in between. The radiant goodness of God will light up the world and the dead of winter will not escape its thaw existence itself will be transformed in the radiant goodness of our creator. Verse four says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old expectations about life are no more. The old standing, standard operating procedures have been forgotten. Death itself has died existence is fully and finally and forever restored in the radiant goodness of God. Have you ever wiped another person's tears? Like, let's just say here in a moment, I noticed one of the musicians is crying, listening uh, to this sermon, probably reflecting on many of the things I've said. I don't know. we would be crying for some reason. So I, <laughs> Matt's over here, I throw my mask on, I walk up to you, I take your head in my hands, and I wipe the tears out of your eyes. What would you think about that? You'd probably think, that's a little weird. <laughs> I don't quite know you well enough for you to be over here wiping my tears. <laughs> wiping someone's tears is a very intimate act. It's something only the most trusted people in our lives can do. And here the Bible is saying, that God, that God will take your head in his hands and wipe the remaining tears from your eyes. Whatever it is that you and I carry through life, whatever it is that causes our hearts to be icy and to be cold 
it will all quickly thaw in the light of Jesus' radiant goodness. And in his presence, we will cry for the very last time. And he won't hand us a tissue box. He won't say, oh, I wish I could hug you. He will take our head in his hands and wipe those last tears from our eyes. That's the sort of relationship God desires to have with you. A deep, a transformative love. That sort of sacred bond that you experience in your most trusted relationships. But with God, that sacred bond can go even deeper because God loves you fully, knows you fully, and loves you fully, though he knows you fully. He desires that sort of relationship with you. And the good news is that Jesus offers that sort of relationship to you as a gift. In verse 4, you'll notice some quotation marks that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death is in quotation marks. The reason there is that John is referencing an Old Testament book of the Bible, an Old Testament book called Isaiah. Very good. Two weeks in a row, Isaiah was the right answer. And of course, I knew that by looking at the footnotes, as I always do. Just like in verse 1, God shows John just a little bit more than he had shown Isaiah. Isaiah was written seven, 800 years before the book of Revelation was written. They both saw that God would destroy death. They both saw that, God that, that death would go the way of the dodo. But God showed John a little bit more. Not only, think about that expression, not only... Does death have no place in the life everlasting? Not only is there no more death, he shows John there's not even mourning. Not only is there no mourning, there's not even pain. Not only or there's no, not crying, and not only is there not crying, there's not even pain. What else can we say? The old way of doing things is gone. It's been forgotten. Existence itself has been renewed and fully restored. And just in case you missed it, there's verse 5 that says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So as you think about your own life here at the end of 2020, as you think about those that you love, as you think about the causes that God has put deep in your heart, as you think about the birth of Jesus that we celebrate this week, may those words echo in your mind, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. At the end of the book, when our lives on this earth come to an end, as followers of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, we will see how true those words are, the renewal, the full restoration of creation, of humanity, of you, of me, and of existence itself. God says, I am making everything new. Are those words, as the Bible says, trustworthy and true? 
Is Jesus trustworthy and true? Do the final chapters of Revelation contain our destiny or a fantasy? We have to answer that question deep within our own souls. The truth is we've been sitting here for a while. And thus far, there's been no bride. There's been no music. That doesn't really bother me. Because I don't expect to see the bride. At least if I'm not officiating the wedding, I don't expect to see the bride until the music hits. That joyous moment where we all stand up in anticipation. And I believe that the bride, the holy city, the new Jerusalem is coming. We just have to wait a little longer. We got nowhere else to be this afternoon. I believe the life everlasting is coming. I believe God himself is coming on his great and glowing throne. I believe that I will see Jesus face to face, not because of my own strivings, but because he is coming to embrace you, to embrace me, to take our head in his hands and to wipe the last tears from our eyes. I believe he loves us that deeply. And if that's how the eternal celebration begins, then who knows what else Jesus has in store? He doesn't always give the best stuff first. I believe these things. I believe them, in fact, because Jesus came the first time. And I think he'll make good on his promise to come the second time. I believe these things. And I believe them with what I would call an actionable certainty. There's a difference between actionable certainty and airtight certainty. With questions of faith, often we desire to have an airtight certainty. But as any good philosophy 101 class will teach you, we don't have airtight certainty about really anything. Like, I don't have airtight certainty that my house is still standing. It could have been blown over by now for all I know. But guess what? When I finish here in a few minutes, I'm going to get in my car and drive home because I think it's still there. I have an actionable certainty that my house is where I left it. I'm so sure about it that I'm going to act. Do I have airtight certainty that it's still there? No, but that doesn't keep me from acting. Same thing with Jesus. Is Jesus trustworthy and true? Is Jesus trustworthy and true? The truth is you don't need to have truckloads of faith. You don't need to have truckloads of trust. You don't need to have complete certainty on that answer. You just need a little bit more than no faith. You need just enough faith, just enough certainty to begin to act on your answer. Is Jesus trustworthy and true? Just enough certainty to act on this invitation. Some of the final words of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen: The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, the New Jerusalem. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus came and so you and I are invited to come. Come and drink and be satisfied. Come to the place where you can open up the door of your life and receive Jesus in. Come follow Jesus because you've realized he found you first. Come to trust that these words contain your destiny.
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Come and receive that free gift. Let me ask you as I wrap up our Advent series, the question I've asked you each week, how might you receive and how might you give the soul-satisfying hope found in Jesus? How might you receive, how might you give the soul-satisfying hope found in Jesus? The greatest gift we can receive this Christmas is Jesus' gift, to be reconciled to God. And the greatest gift we can give this Christmas, and honestly throughout all of 2021, is to show others through our actions, through our words, to show others the hope we have found in Jesus. You don't have to be a jerk about it. In fact, don't be a jerk about it. But let's not keep hope to ourselves. As you may know, in partnership with the other Lake Forest churches, with Forest Hill Church in Charlotte, with actually the largest Protestant church in Egypt, we are helping to plant some new congregations, some new church families in the country of Tunisia. As best we know, there's somewhere between 5 to 20 church families in the whole country of Tunisia. And so just this week, we got a very wonderful report of a Tunisian man named Mauro who had been experiencing a lot of hardship. He was especially hard hit by the effects of the pandemic. And in that, he turned to Jesus the Christ. The struggles of his life forced him not further from God, but closer to God. And he opened up his life to Jesus. And for this, all of eternity rejoices. And one day, in the radiant goodness of Jesus, we will meet this man. And we will realize the joy of not keeping hope to ourselves. The truth is, the invitation of Jesus is not just for those half a world away. We're about to turn ourselves to communion. And to ask, not just is he hungry for God, are you hungry for God? Are you hungry to know God? Are you hungry to love God deeply? Are you hungry to be changed by God? If you are hungry, Jesus came so that you might now come and receive. Receive the free gift of reconciliation with God. Are you in need of God's forgiveness? Do you thirst? Do you experience? Do you know that need in your own life to be forgiven? Then come. Jesus came so that you might come and drink deeply of the assurance that you are forgiven in Jesus' name. Well, pray with me. Let's prepare ourselves for communion. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, we thank you for your invitation that we don't have to be separated from you. We don't have to be alienated from you. We can be reconciled with you. And that in fact, you have come to us. You have initiated that reconciliation in the life of Jesus in this moment right now and ultimately in the way that the story you're writing in this world will end. You're coming to us. You're the initiative taker and we're getting swept up in your redemptive wake. And so, Lord, today we come acknowledging that we are hungry. Hungry for you. We are thirsty. Thirsty to be forgiven. We have deep needs that, that we try to satisfy in so many unhelpful ways. And yet here you are offering to meet our deepest needs, to satisfy our deepest needs now and forever. Lord, some of us will come and receive for the first time today as our way of stepping over the line of faith, saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. Others of us, Lord, we will come for the, the thousandth time to receive. May we not become hardened to the deep love, transformative love you have for us and desire us to have for you. Lord, others of us are still exploring what all this Jesus stuff is about. While this is not for us in this moment, would you just allow us the time to sit, to think, to reflect on what our next step spiritually might look like? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, with whatever you have at home, those of us who follow Jesus, who have put our faith in Christ, I invite you to come and receive with me as I will read these uh, words. I receive from the Lord what I now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you are hungry, come and receive. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. If you are thirsty, if you desire the forgiveness of your sins through Christ, come and receive. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.